It's Friday, October 22nd, and you are tuned into <laughs> Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us today. I want to start today's show with an email. This is from Anne, who took the time to chime in to talk at RyanJesperson.com. She says, Ryan and the gang, I thought you might want to know about a withdrawal I made through Bitcoin well the other day. She said, as you may or may not know, putting funds in is easy, but taking them out has been a real challenge to most. Can I get some like sexy, awesome email music for my Bitcoin well email here at the beginning of the show? Uh, it's, it's so much better to read emails with music beds underneath. There we go. That's so I'm, I'm looking for this. For, I'm looking for the uh, the Real Talk Studio Band to give me a little something to get excited about. And says, you know, I, this withdrawal I made through Bitcoin Well the other day. As you may or may not know, putting funds in is easy, but taking them out when it comes to cryptocurrency transactions that's been a real challenge to a lot of people. And then in all caps, so I'll reflect that she says, not anymore. <laughs> Bitcoin Well makes it a totally seamless process. By the way, I checked and does not work at Bitcoin Well. <laughs> she says you put in the request, you select American or Canadian funds, you give them your Bitcoin wallet information, your email address, and boom, done. In a day or two, you get this email funds attached, you deposit it in your bank account. Says Anne, her words not mine. Even an old goat like me could understand the process. <laughs> And says, it's easy as pie. And I would recommend it to anybody and everybody. Yes, they answer your questions about putting money in. And we, we all need to know how to do it. But it's the ability to take it out seamlessly that impressed me. Says, I remember the olden days where there were like a million steps in the early days of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And if you screwed up, you could actually like lose your funds. But Bitcoin well has made it so easy, she says. Just saying, Ryan. It's a great company offering great service, and I'm thankful they're right here in Alberta. If anybody has a challenge or a question to ask, that from Anne, you know it. Thanks for being in touch, Anne. You can find the team at Bitcoin Well under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, we're going to get into it today. I love this. Can we call up that tweet that we got just the other from New Brunswick this morning? This one I saw. I love this from a, a real talker yesterday that was uh, obviously this Allen inquiry comes out. I think people across Canada to a certain degree are interested in this. Was it is it fair to call it a witch hunt? Uh, we'll ask Simon Dyer from the Pembina Institute in a second if it's fair to call it a witch hunt. But this was the investigation, uh, the three and a half million dollar investigation into anti Alberta activities released yesterday. And Lucy tweeted, she said, I can't wait for Jespo's take tomorrow. There's lots to unpack on this shit show in Alberta. And then we heard from G Marie, who says, I've been tuning into Real Talk lately. I'm in New Brunswick now. So a big shout out to New Brunswick. A good morning to you. Thanks for making time for us. The report out yesterday. Is it fair to say much ado about nothing? Three and a half million bucks. A big campaign promise from Jason Kenny, who said they were going to shine sunlight, essentially disinfect these big foreign campaigns to landlock specifically Alberta oil. But after extension after extension, delay after delay, more and more cash yesterday. Nothing. Or at least that's my impression 
But let's go to somebody who's been following this from the beginning. Obviously, I wonder if his organization was one of those that perceived they might be in the crosshairs. Simon Dyer is joining us, Deputy Executive Director of the Pemina Institute, a Canadian-based clean energy think tank. Simon's been working in this wheelhouse, this natural resource management issues since uh, 1999, the better part of 20 years and making his Real Talk debut this morning. Thanks for making time for us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. And based here in Edmonton, too. Good stuff. Uh, so obviously you're paying attention to this over the past couple of years. And uh, I, I, I have to wonder if you and your team at the Pembina Institute are going, oh, boy, are we one of the ones that are going to take big punches here on on a national stage? What was your thought process going into this? Let's say pre yesterday, pre release. Where were you at with regards to this Allen inquiry? Well, I mean, I think we knew we were in the crosshairs because when this uh, was launched at a press conference two years ago, uh, the Premier and Minister Savage, uh, you know, they they named us and, uh, you know, there were quite a few slurs about uh, what they were going to find. I mean, and I, I think that's the biggest thing, finding of uh, no wrongdoing anywhere. And you can compare that to how this was launched. They were going to find evidence of defamation, uh, look into illegal activities, you know, musings about uh, Russians, hundreds of millions of dollars. None of this uh, obviously is true and none of this came to to pass. So, I mean, we've been uh, we've been confident throughout this process, but unfortunately, and I, I think you saw it in the press conference yesterday, even though there were no findings of uh, wrongdoing, the minister continues to polarize this discussion. And it's, uh, I mean, it's deeply distressing. I mean, obviously it's trying to take advantage of uh, the recession and the frustration people are losing their jobs and just trying to create a, an enemy here uh, pitting uh, working our burdens against the environmental community it makes no sense the world is changing and i don't know any environmentalist that, that is you know rooting for people in alberta to lose their jobs it's actually quite the opposite they're trying to figure out how can we get to net zero emissions in a way that protects our workers but you know, we have to address climate change. Simon, I think you make a really good point about there, there were the resorts, uh, the reports findings <clears throat> released yesterday. And then there were the statements from the minister. And I think a lot of people were wondering, are, are we talking about the same report? 600 plus pages. I pulled one quick paragraph out of it. Here's uh, Steve Allen's take, quote, to be very clear. I have not found any suggestions of wrongdoing on the part of any individual or organization. No individual or organization, in my view, has done anything illegal indeed they have exercised their rights of free speech and then here's the minister yesterday as each pipeline project was delayed or cancelled while they boasted albertans were hurt people lost their jobs businesses went under families were hurt government revenues from royalties were impacted we lost billions of dollars in royalties we saw pipeline bottlenecks and that led to heavy discounts and led to curtailment. While other jurisdictions were able to build infrastructure, we have been deliberately blocked. Albertas have a right to be upset. Albertans have a right to be upset, she says, and I think a lot of Albertans are, although maybe not for the same reasons that Minister Savage might think. You've got a report that literally says after two years, three and a half million dollars, there was no evidence of wrongdoing on the part of any person and nothing illegal. Then the minister's still up there yesterday doubling down. Premier nowhere to be found, by the way. What's going on right now? What's your take? 
Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I, I guess the other important thing, the way the whole report is framed, it's sort of framed as this sort of reverse David and Goliath thing about this uh, massive environmental community picking on uh, the little oil and gas industry. I mean, according to the, the data in this report, I mean, you, you're talking about uh, investments in oil and gas and climate change in Alberta on the order of $3 million a year for, uh, for, for 15 years. Now, I mean, $3 million might sound like a lot to you and me, but when you compare that with $250 billion of capital investment in the uh, in the oil sands industry, you know, in, you know, a decade ago. And you compare it to, I mean, I, I remember watching Hockey Night in Canada with uh, wall-to-wall uh, um, ads from, uh, you know, oil sands companies. I don't know whether the oil sands company PR and lobbying departments have spent a hundred times more or a thousand times more than uh, the environmental community. I mean, that, 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 that has never been research, researched, but clearly it's very odd that, uh, you know, this government of Alberta continues to think it's their job to uh, defend the, the oil and gas industry that should do their own PR. And really, you know, the, the real issue is about environmental performance and even the recommendation that we should just rebrand and throw more money at this. This is absolutely not what we need to do. That's the definition of insanity. The reason that uh, Alberta is criticized, of course, is because we don't have a climate plan. We've made no 2030 commitments. Uh, we're, we're out of the mainstream conversation on uh, net zero. And uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, when you're in a hole, stop digging. But the government of Alberta seems to not not, not be getting that message. Do you think that people were... Uh Exonerated. I want to. I want to ask you a question, but I think I think I already know the answer. Is that do you think some people were were sweating through this? And, and but I, I, because I think that some individuals and some organizations certainly felt like the crosshairs were on them that that they were about to take some punches. That there could be in in some circumstances either a groundswell of public disdain or or something further action wise from the government on this, whatever that might be. But were people or were organizations exonerated yesterday? Well, I mean, I think so, but it, I mean, I guess you can still do a lot of damage in the in the court of public opinion. Like, I mean, obviously, I I, I can't speak for sort of everyone in the environmental community, but uh, I think people were pretty confident there was no uh, wrongdoing. But when you have uh, the governor of Alberta and the premier using his position as a bully pulpit to you know harass and uh, defame um, individuals, I mean, it, it hasn't it has an impact. I mean, in the past two years, right? I mean, Pembina, I mean, our we, we focus on solutions. We focus on factual information. We've been working on all sands issues for, for 30 years. And when you have the sitting government, uh, you know, attacking you and actually reaching out to, you know, our funders and even, you know, oil sands companies that we work with saying, stop working with these guys, it, it, it has an impact. So, yeah, it's not it's not helpful. I mean, there's, there's certainly been a, an impact and it's been really gratifying to see, you know, regular Albertans reaching out and making donations and sort of standing up for us. But uh, yeah, it, it has an impact, but only the government can change this sort of hostile, t- polarizing tone and actually move on. Yeah, I mean, I, only the government can change it because it's the government pushing it out, I guess. There was kind of a notable exchange yesterday. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you're going to hear it. It's just an audio blip, but I want you to listen to, to what happens with the minister when she hears that there's a reporter from the New York Times that wants to ask her something. This is Sonia Savage yesterday at the media availability. You'll see it on YouTube. And then, and then Simon, I got a question for you on, on what this all means. But, but here's the brief exchange yesterday, a reporter from the Times and Alberta's energy minister. Thank you, Ian Austin, New York Times. Hmm. Big smile on the face of the minister. Go she, ahead. She's excited. And here it Hi, is. Um, the $925 million, I'm a little puzzled. You talk about transparency a lot, but it looks like the inquiry came up with that number. 
by doing something that any Canadian or anyone in the world can do, going to the Canada Revenue Agency charity site and adding up the numbers. Um, so what exactly more transparency do you want? I mean, we know these groups appear at regulatory hearings, for example. Um, did you want, like, some law that they have to report specific Alberta things? And if that's what you want, um, should publicly traded energy companies and energy groups also be required to report what they spend on legal fees at regulatory hearings, what they spend on lobbying, advertising, and so on? And they mostly do. Um, it's called... Okay, so that's the point. I wanted to get to the question. The answer is a bunch of word salad, a bunch of gobbledygook. If you want to comment on it, uh, Simon, you certainly can. But it prompted this tweet uh, from the former editor of Alberta Oil Magazine, Max Fawcett, which jumped out at me. Uh, he quotes and, 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 and platforms Alanis Morissette here, reminding us all of that song. Isn't it ironic? Like rain on your wedding day. But Max says, let me get this straight. The government of Alberta wants environmental NGOs, ENGOs to be more transparent in their disclosure, but they won't tell taxpayers anything about how the war room's budget is being spent, nor will they allow journalists to FOIP its activities. Is that a fair comparison? Seems so to me. Um, absolutely. I mean, environmental charities are already more transparent than the the war room, and already more transparent than the you know the lobbying activities of the oil and gas companies. So yeah, having a having a level playing field would actually involve increasing transparency in some of those sectors. And I guess the other point about you know charities as well. Uh, the the Muttart Foundation put out some uh, excellent research yesterday. One percent of international uh, funding uh, in Alberta is for environmental charities. Ninety nine percent is for other charities, the biggest ones are uh, educational and uh, and religious. So uh, again, if, uh, if if this government is uh, serious about this, they seem to sort of you know take a specific interest in charities that might have a different public policy posi- position to them. And so yeah, I mean it's it's pretty hypocritical. The average person is going to wonder. So what do I take away from this? Like if the kids are at hockey practice this weekend, or if friends are getting together around a campfire, and somebody says, "How about that Allen inquiry?" and these real talkers, they want to, you know, we, we want to we want to be the smartest people in the room, but we never want to act like it, Simon. But what's one thing that we can comment on here? What's the thing that you th- what's most notably out of this? What's the takeaway? It was a waste of money. It didn't uncover any information that isn't available through the CRA website or a Google search on publicly inf- information about what these uh, groups are working on. It's, uh, you know, I think it was designed for political purposes to, you know, make people angry and and, and frustrated. And I think, uh, you know, the government of Alberta is going to continue to struggle and is going to lose in the in the court of public opinion if we don't get serious about taking action on climate change. That's what it comes down to. I mean, global media leaders are in, in Glasgow in nine days time and they're all going to be, you know, accelerating and enhancing their climate commitments. And Alberta is just not in the game. They can't, you know, the, the, the minister, you should ask the minister, you know, uh, do you commit to reducing emissions? Do you believe in the 1.5 degree target? Is Alberta taking it seriously? And the rest of the world just sees Alberta not um, taking this seriously. It's just a massive own goal. Simon, I, I suspect you're going to say, Ryan, I'm not really looking to pick fights with other organizations, but I have to bring up Ducks Unlimited, right? I mean, this report suggests that there's been about a billion dollars that has made its way uh, into Canada, into Alberta in particular, uh, for environmental campaigns against the pipelines, against the oil sands. About $400 million of that has been funneled to Ducks Unlimited. Now, the CEO of Ducks Unlimited, Larry Kalmeyer, is Jason Kenney, the premier's former principal secretary. And this report from Deloitte 
shows that a lot of information, including information about Ducks Unlimited, has been redacted Uh, in layperson's terms. They've taken a Sharpie and scribbled it out so people can't read it. What gives? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ducks Unlimited. I'm a, I'm a hunter. They do great work in the, in the conservation space. And yeah, I'm not looking. To, I don't think any of us are looking to yeah, fight with Ducks Unlimited. I, exactly. But uh, I mean, but I mean, the point is, yeah, it, it's a very dangerous uh, um, state of affairs when, yeah, the government is uh, picking uh, charities and non-for-profits that it likes and ones that it doesn't like and sort of, you know, redacting uh, that information. So, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, it's there. There was no, there was no story here, but it does suggest that you know this this inquiry, the the government decided beforehand who their who their targets were. They'd already written their their press release for the end about who they wanted to focus on again, and unfortunately, the the report didn't give them the the results that they wanted to because there's no uh, there's no smoke or fire here. I'm a big fan of Graham Thompson, longtime political commentator in the province of Alberta. He writes yesterday. Uh, for the CBC, the awkward reality for the premier now is that his fight back strategy unveiled through the 2019 provincial election has only scored a hit against one target, his own government's credibility. The war room has been such a joke. Its logo should be a plastic flower that squirts water. And the Allen inquiry into anti-Alberta activities found no evidence of wrongdoing while offering up a jumble of financial information that even Minister Savage admitted had her confused at times. This is pretty interesting to read from the report when it comes to that so-called war room, the Canadian Energy Center. The findings published yesterday, or at least, pardon me, released yesterday, quote, the war room solicited mixed reviews. Strong oil and gas advocates were in support of this defensive strategy, while people on the fence hungry for more knowledge of the skeptics were highly critical. The name change to the Canadian Energy Center may have been a strong strategic move, but unfortunately, it was too late to undo the damage. It is still widely referred to as the war room. In addition, several missteps from the outset damaged its reputation from which it has not yet been able to recover. What does the future look like when it comes to the war room? I mean, I think uh, the government should uh, save money and uh, cancel it. It's had uh, no no tangible benefit. Um, as I said, over the past 20 years, uh, um, um, respective governments of Alberta have perpetually treated criticism of the Orsans as a public relations issue when it's actually an environmental management and environmental policy issue. The, uh, the war room can't defend you when uh, emissions are increasing and Alberta doesn't have a climate plan. So, you know, do the public policy first, then communicate. Alberta missed the improving public policy step and went straight to straight to communication. So save the money, stop spending money on PR, get serious about climate action, engage with your critics rather than harassing them. And that's the way for to actually support investment in Alberta and decarbonization and the, and the strong economy that we want and, uh, and a safe climate. Simon, let me ask you this in closing. Sam, do you mind calling up the cover art for this report, the 600 page report from Steve Allen? You'll note if you take a look at it and anybody can access it online that that there it is. The report of the public inquiry into anti-Alberta energy campaigns, July 2021. Wait a second. Wait a second. It's the middle. It's almost the end of October. What gives? All I can think is that what was July? July was open for summer. July was best summer ever. July was the stampede. July was when this government was supposed to win favor back from its citizens. Then what happened? Right. The federal election. And then what just passed? The municipal election. Right. The equalization referendum. Am I a conspiracy theorist? I mean, why did this thing get to the government in July, not released to the public until yesterday? 
Well, exactly. I mean, I think they wait. They waited to the uh, last uh, possible moment because there's, uh, you know, there's nothing here. The, uh, you know, the the rationale for this inquiry has been completely discredited, right? I mean, I don't think it's, uh, you know. Wouldn't hold our breath, but uh, you know, I, I mean, I think some people in government should be apologising to some of the uh, individuals and organisations who've been harassed and impugned through this process. Even though the inquiry itself obviously found no evidence of wrongdoing, we've yet to see the government themselves, uh, you know, uh, acknowledge any of that or uh, you know walk any of this back. I'm, I'm sure that an apology will happen in short order, Simon. I'm sure that'll happen right away if I know anything about this government. Our guest leading us off this morning was awarded in 2013 with the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for his work to support environmentally responsible energy development in the province of Alberta in the country of Canada. He's the deputy executive director of the Pembina Institute, Simon Dyer. Thanks for making time for us, Simon. Thanks for having me. You got it. You can let me know what you think online. Hashtag is Real Talk RJ. The producer of this show is keeping an eye on that. Sarah Hoyles. And of course, you can hit us up in our live chat or send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We have trash talk coming up in, uh, we'll call it about an hour's time, an hour and change. Um, Hoyles, I would say we, we still potentially have time. I know you have a lot on your plate, a lot you're keeping an eye on, but if someone were to submit a last minute trash talk on this, we could still probably squeak it in. Yeah, you know, I, I know some people. Yes. I can, I can see what I can do. We look for quick hits, not essays. And if somebody has one that you can hand to me cold, I'll read it. Quick hits, look hot forward takes. To it. We're quick hits, hot takes. I love that. We could steal the Dairy Queen branding. Quick hits, hot takes. There's also going to be a new precedent today. I'm looking forward to trash talk. Are you ready to run? You ready to go? You got, I can't wait. I haven't seen it. Sarah promised us was this yesterday, a couple days ago. We got a trash talk coming about drones. I don't even know. what's. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Hoyles will take the spotlight. In about an hour's time. Oh, geez. Now you're like, you're, you're ramping it up. I'm building this up big time. I am building this up. If there's anything I can do, my friend, it is hype. If there's anything I can do, it is hype. Uh, Edmonton counselor like Karen Tang, in just a second, I wanted to remind you that this show happens. We're here each and every morning for you because we have amazing uh, partners and sponsors like the team at Athabasca University. They're Canada's online university. If you're looking to broaden your skill set, you want to deepen your understanding. Standing, You want to better prepare yourself for a job market that, hey, has seen a bit of a dip over the past couple of years, but that means opportunity abounds now. Why not figure out more about how AU works and how you might find your fit to learn at your own pace with their world-class accredited online programs and courses at AthabascaU.com. CA. You can check in with alumni. You can shop at the AU store. There's a whole bunch of great links right there for you, conveniently presented on the website. Our friends at Park Power want to remind you that you can choose a variable rate or a fixed rate. When it comes to these utilities, they're providing your friendly local utilities provider in the electricity, natural gas, and internet game. They also have the fixed rate, which has been a a valuable asset for a lot of people that are looking for a little bit of more predictability they want to know what their bills are going to look like and sometimes when you've been locking it in you've come out a big winner right here's the thing there's limited spots every month for those fixed rates so as the first of the month approaches you make sure you get in touch with them so you're not left on the outside looking in if you are you can always follow up you can always change your account you're never locked in at parkpower.ca the promo code 2021-realtalk gets you 70 bucks off your first bill 
And finally, I know it's going to be a big weekend for our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge because the word is out. The inventory is back stocked up. They've been waiting literally a year and a half to be able to say this. The trailers have been rolling in. They've got more than 300 Dodge Ram 1500s, a whole bunch of Jeeps, the Grand Cherokees, the Wranglers. They've got those gladiators everybody likes. And then, of course, everything else in that Dodge Jeep Chrysler lineup that everybody's come to love. October is the biggest sale of the year at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, of course, Monday night, big changes across our home province of Alberta. Each of the five biggest cities in the province, a new mayor, new faces on council, new dynamics at city halls across the province. And that includes right here in Edmonton. Over the next number of weeks and months, of course, we'll get to know some of these elected representatives. And that starts today with the winner, Edmonton's councillor-elect in the ward of Garigio, uh, Karen Tang won her seat with more than 7,400 votes. That's just under 40%. She's an experienced public health advocate and is believed to be one of the first, anyway, women of color to serve on Edmonton's council. Karen, it's wonderful to have you on the show. First of all, congratulations. You've had a couple of days, I hope, to get some sleep because word on the street is that you've been pounding the pavement for months. How did Monday night feel? Uh, it felt surreal. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Been a fan for a long time. Um, you know, Monday feels surreal. Uh, this moment, just uh, kind of content and waiting for the, actually waiting for the big storm <laughs> coming. <laughs> uh, we know that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, you know, we've had one day where, you know, I was kind of going around collecting long signs. And the next day where it's, it's onboarding at City Hall, you know, you just hit the ground running. Karen, uh, obviously, you've wanted this for a while. You ran in the last election. You finished second in your riding. The guy that won that time finished second uh, to sit in the mayor's office, Mike Nickel, which meant that your riding essentially was wide open. People were trying to figure out who's got the edge here. Uh, Of course, you've been polling people on a door-to-door sense. You've been talking to constituents for, I'd say, the better part of the last four years. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but what were people telling you about priorities and how does that translate into what your priorities are now? Yeah, you know, and that that is very much, I would say, how we develop our platform. Um, you know, as you said, I've been kind of at this for, it's not just a few months campaign, it's been years, uh, you know, since 2016. And uh, and so for the past few years, you know, I've always kind of developed and maintained a lot of the relationships and connections with community groups, with people, uh, particularly in Millwood. So this is a portion that kind of uh, stayed between 11 and got a heel. Um, and, you know, and just maintain a lot of those conversations. Conversations. And we've been having online virtual com- community conversations since last November. And, and of course, online coffees and meetings, et cetera, et cetera, with community and industry leaders. And that actually ultimately shaped our platform. Um, and then at the doors, it, it, you know, folks validated uh, this ward is uh, separated north and south um, by the Hende, and you see some unique issues that people really care about. You know, Millwoods is very mature uh, from the 70s, you know, so infrastructure and renewal is is, is very is very big. Um, and on the south, you have the newer neighborhoods uh, where issues of school capacity. In some cases, the lack of school, uh, particularly high school, is kept coming up at the doors. Um, but the one thing I will say that really connects north to south, east to west, is the issue around mobility and transit. And in fact, I will say that was such a clarifying moment in this campaign on the on the trail, where so many people were talking to 
to me about uh, the bus network we designed, about the LRT, particularly seniors, students, uh, lower income families, newcomer families who don't actually have cars to, to have that choice to drive. Um, it made me just realize that, you know, this has to be one of my priorities. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately our platform had 11 priorities and this was uh, certainly up there. Can you uh, we, we've been having some fascinating conversations around what reconciliation looks like, including just yesterday. Talked to author Jesse Wente and just a, a really powerful uh, time spent, uh, you know, just really kind of digging into his new book, Unreconciled. Um, I'd be interested to hear more. And I know our audience would as well about the time that you spent stateside. Uh, down, I think it was New Mexico, right? On on a, right. on a Navajo reservation, working with kids to to stimulate interest in in uh, STEM fields, right? In math and science, and, and so how did that come about? And and how does that influence your politics, or at least your priorities? Yeah, you know that was my first job out of university. Uh, I you know I participated in this program called Teach for America, where you know um, young people get deployed to different parts of uh, different parts of the states, uh, uh, teaching particularly in very you know underrepresented and marginalized communities. Uh, and I picked New Mexico, actually not knowing exactly kind of who the uh, really the demo the demographic was, and that was really my first interaction with working with indigenous communities. Um, and you know, and prior to that. I really, uh, growing up in the States, you know, I didn't really have any of that education and it's such an eye opening and I would say very transformative experience that has put me where I am today. Um, I was a science teacher. I was teaching seventh and eighth grade science. Um, you know, my students were 99% Navajo. Uh, it was such a, it was, it was just an incredible experience. I've learned so much, um, from my students. Uh, and, you know, during that period, I also was really looking to different kinds of extracurricular uh, programs that could support my students' achievement, including this program called MESA, which I think was just fantastic. MESA stands for um, Math Engineering Science Achievement, and it's really meant to kind of stimulate. Uh, and it's not a gifted program. It's actually for everyone. And, uh, and that's what I really loved about it. And I hope this program is still going on because it is so, so important. Karen, is my I want to make sure my math is correct. I'm pretty you became a Canadian citizen in 2015, correct? That's right. And then 2017, you're already running for a seat on city council, which which yeah. I think was was really interesting. You've served as president of the Edmonton Multicultural Coalition. You've got a ton of experience, obviously, from an executive level and understanding some of the organizational approaches to providing supports for new Canadians, for in this case, new Edmontonians. But you also have lived experience, um, which mm -hmm. I think is is huge. We've heard from so many people including mayors and the new mayors in Calgary and Edmonton this week that talked about the value of having a council reflect its population. People can see themselves, in a sense, in their councillors. Uh, that's, I would imagine, not lost on you. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a big reason why I ran in, uh, in 2017. And I think having my citizenship and uh, being there for, you know, that ceremony, it was a bit of a, it was a moment where I was like, wow. I can vote now for the first time in my life. You know, I was in my early 30s. I'm like, this is my first time I'm going to vote. That was the year of the federal election. And then, you know, a second later, I'm like, oh, wow, I can also run for office. That has never occurred to me. And it was it was just a very powerful moment. Um, and even now, you know, I 
I come to the doors, I meet lots and lots of permanent residents. You know, this this war, the Southeast is incredibly diverse. Um, and, you know, I was there before. I was there at one point when I said, you know, I can't vote and therefore this doesn't concern me. I don't want to get, you know, involved or uh, I don't, you know, there's it doesn't matter what I say. And now I know better uh, and, uh, you know, certainly encourage those who even who can't vote to say, you know, things will affect your day-to-day life. Um, and in fact, you know, several years ago as part of a campaign to even rally around the permanent resident vote in local elections. Um, and that was, you know, certainly during uh, some of the, um, the the changes that was happening with the Local Elections Authorities Act. Karen, I know... Uh I'm curious, you know, most people, most elected politicians will give us an answer like, you know, oh, it's not my brother, but but I'm asking you to actually sink your teeth into something here. I'm asking you to maybe throw one punch, even if it's a gentle one. When you look at the previous Edmonton City Council, where did it drop the ball? I mean, what was something before you earned your seat, before you ran and won? What was something that maybe even drove you a little bit nuts about municipal governance in Alberta's capital city? You know, just as a community organizer, I think the one thing that kind of drove me nuts is that 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 disconnect. Um, you know, we have folks making the decisions, but you know, oftentimes you show up to to events and you may shake some hands, take some photographs, but certainly, I, I, I as someone who's on the ground, I didn't necessarily have the same kind of relationships I had hoped, um, and that's something you know I certainly hope to bring uh, and you know commit to uh, that I don't just want to you know I don't just want to show up and say hello or or you know, I don't want, you know, folks to pander to or um, the politicians and vice versa. I want to form genuine relationships. Um, I think it's about deep listening that I didn't necessarily see uh, always. Uh, and I think part of that does come. Uh, and I think part of that does matter uh, when you have a diverse uh, council, because then we're talking about people who have very different kinds of networks, different kinds of connections, different kinds of communities that they can relate to. Uh in closing, I think people would be interested just for a bit of a peek behind the curtain on how this all goes. So when does it all start? I mean, have you had a chance to to chat with the mayor elect? Have you had a chance to meet with Zoom or otherwise your who will form your your colleagues on council? I mean, when does when does the real work begin? What's your timeline? Yeah, uh, so I think uh, two days after we started onboarding, we were all at City Hall. I haven't had a chance uh, with the mayor-elect to keep missing each other. He's a very busy man, of course. Uh, but, you know, certainly with the other folks on council, um, uh, you know, we've gotten to know uh, each other, where, you know, where our, our offices are. And, of course, swearing in is next Tuesday, and I believe it's followed by the inaugural uh, council meeting. Feeling pretty good about it? Pre- feeling pretty excited? I'm excited. And of course, no, this work is daunting and I don't, I, 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 I wouldn't have expected any less. Um, And, you know, as no matter how much experience you have in here, this is a huge transition. Uh, You know, I'm still trying to get my voicemail set up. (laughs) So we'll see. Hey, no, no voicemail is the new voicemail. Nobody's doing voicemail anymore. It's true. I mean, I know, That's Karen, right. you're, you're, you're going to say, hang on, the people put their faith and confidence in me and the people gave me their vote and I'm here to listen to them. And you got to say all that stuff. But I, the more the more executives that I try to learn from, they also they got rid of their voicemail years ago. So but you know what? There, there, there's a lot of seniors in the war. There's a lot of people who still rely on the phone. And that still remains my 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 preferred mode of con- uh, contact. So you like when people call you? 
Yeah, you know, oh I, uh, I I call people back. I call voters back. Oh, uh, no. It is that time spent of crafting an email. I'd rather spend talking to like a real person. Yeah, no, you and I are the complete opposite. That's why <laughs> that's why you're well suited for public office. And I, my friend, am not. Uh, let me say this in closing. I just want you to know, and I'm sure a lot of people have said this to you when you lost the last election. You know what? You know what I heard time and time and time again. She'll be there. People said she'll be there. She, she, she will be a counselor in Edmonton. And here you are. Congratulations. That, we, that means we, a lot. We, Thank we, you. Were, we were happy to open the door and have you walk in because I suspect that we're going to have conversations in, in the months and years to come. Congratulations from our team to yours. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You got it. That's Edmonton counselor elect in the word of uh, Gudillo. Um, I feel like I'm mispronouncing it, but we're, we're, we're doing our best to learn these. Essentially, they're not really new, but the new ish ward names uh, previously would have been and some of the boundaries redrawn, but would have been Ward 11 ish. Karen Tang is going to be serving them as a counselor and well suited class act. Um, I would I, I would be the guy. I mean, I, I would be I hate to I hate to invoke that. I hate to invoke the comparison. I shouldn't but, even say it out loud because somebody's going to pull this clip and then they're going to use it against me. But I might be kind of in a, in one context or another, or maybe more than one. <laughs> Should I just spit it out? Say it. I might have a bit of a Doug Ford kind of tendency <laughs> when it comes to some of the management of relationships with the people. Okay, you should not have said that. I know. I know. But I just feel like if there's any elected politician in Canada that probably doesn't have their voicemail set up, I don't know. This is maybe unfair. It's probably Doug Ford. But that's and, just because, like, ineptitude. Well, yeah, or disinterest. Uh, mine would be based on disinterest. I have, you know, and and I'm not I'm not talking about like family. I'm not talking about my family, my wife, my parents, my my cousins, and my sibling. I'm not talking about that. But if it's people that we like do business with, or if it's people that I know casually, people that I'm doing, and, and they and they call me, I'm looking at my phone, and I'll be honest. I get irritated like when the phone all they're doing is calling me they're, That's a normal thing to call someone on their phone. But I'm like, come on, as my phone's ringing. Like, why aren't they said it? I feel like if they sold a phone that could not receive calls. Yes, that would be my phone. I, which is hilarious that you're calling it a phone. But yeah, that it wouldn't it wouldn't accept calls. I love when my folks call me and they're I, I miss it or I anyways. Um, And then they're. You, you just know, got buzzed. You screen your parents' calls, don't you, Hoyles? Oh, my. I hope they're not listening. And then I call them back. I'm just going to move right past that. Then I call them back. And so d- did you listen to my message? Yeah. No. No. I don't no, even know. I my, never listened to the message. I don't even know my password. I don't even know my. No. Are you a voicemail guy, Sam? I mean, I, bigger picture. Are you a talk on the phone guy? Bigger picture. I'm a talk on the phone guy. I like to talk on the phone when I'm ready for it. Um. Yes, I, I kid you not. Got yesterday, a little buzz on or what? I was in a. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I was in a a Zoom meeting, and right before the meeting, I phoned my mom for something, and she didn't pick up, and that's fine. That's normal. And and literally, I love how during, we're all treading so carefully. Right during now. the meeting, both of my parents phoned me back, and both of them just left voicemails that said, "Hey, saw you call. Please call me back." And it was like, "This is the most pointless voicemail." <laughs> I don't know. Nobody listens to voicemails anymore. Do not leave me a voicemail ever. And I would say, you know what I'm going to do today is, you know what I'm going to do today is I'm going to cancel my voicemail. But the fact of the matter is my to-do list is way too long and I never get to the bottom of it. So what I'm going to do is instead of canceling it, I'm just going to keep ignoring it. So if you're waiting for me to return your call, it's not going to happen. 
Jonathan says, I need a Palm Pilot. Whatever happened to Palm Pilots? That's another great band name. Palm They got replaced by Blackberries and then iPhones. Yeah, Palm Pilots. Palm, I don't what actually know. What a blast know. from the past. I don't actually know what they, what were they? They were like, the, they were the things that they were like, essentially, they looked like a tablet, like early stage. They kind of looked like the, remember the TI-82 or TI-81 Texas Instruments calculators? Yeah, they're a little slimmer oh, than yeah. that. Yeah, and, and then, they, they had, then they had the little pen thing that pulled out, the writing utensil, right? or not utensil, the writing instrument, and, and then you could do it. It was actually pretty innovative for its time because it was taking your sloppy handwriting and turning it into text, which yeah. was, I think, pretty impressive. At the time, anyway, it was incredibly impressive, and they yeah. were like they were huge at the time because they, like you're right, they couldn't make phone calls, but they had your calendar and they had all your contacts and they had your schedule in it, and they, you know, you could make notes on them and that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's like there was the first sort of like massive put this in your pocket and keep all your information on it. Yeah, gizmo, and people wanted, and when you had one, you wanted everybody to see you using. Oh it. yeah, you're like oh, no big deal. It's like the people that used to have the original car phones. You remember those, the ones that would like you would carry <laughs> the them, <laughs> the you'd carry. Them like a purse like a, it was like a, a like a briefcase and then you plug it into the lighter and uh you know use this like massive phone with the red led it would actually make the noise when you'd punch in the meet me meet me as you're dialing the number unbelievable now i will say it's important here it's important to recognize that there is still some value in voicemails like tony here she says my mom always leaves me a voicemail like she's having a conversation with me and it's so cute if I still had my grandparents on my voicemail, I would I would save that for eternity. There are voicemails that you cherish, obviously. Uh, but it's like for me, yeah. if you're leaving a message like call me back when you can, like, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you next Christmas. Um, people are saying, you know, James journey was Palm Pilot to Blackberry to iPhone. Shalane still is rocking a landline. She says it's for when my kids are home alone, but I'm always so annoyed when somebody calls me on it. That from Shalane. I don't blame her. Do you have a landline? No, I haven't had a landline for like 15 years, literally. It's interesting. My, More than 15 years. Yeah, because my sister, with the, as their kids got older and yet now they're able to stay home alone, they have a landline for that specific purpose. So there's actually a way for them. But, so they had to get a landline. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, Kim is with me, says, I hate the phone. I was trying to make sure that everybody is right. If you if you take the time to give me a whole bunch of extra A's in the word hate, or as our little guy calls it, the H word, he'll say, Dad, oh, no. he'll lean in. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I hate broccoli. I'm like, Wyatt, Rudy, <laughs> you can say you don't like it or you don't prefer it. <laughs> But we save our hate for the Vancouver Canucks. Some random guy says, this is why I'm not running for office. I get far too much anxiety making cold calls to people. I'd be the same way. A summer of selling educational books door to door uh, taught me life skills and also forever scarred me. No one, literally no one is happy to see you show up when you're door to door, when you're knocking on doors. Might be a little bit different, though, with politicians around election time. Right. I know that some, uh, you know, love it. We heard the counselor Andrew Knack loves knocking on doors. He knocks on doors outside his ward <laughs> just to like, I don't know, because he cares what people think. I don't Again, this is where I'd be the Dougie Ford, you know, Jespo, Jespo, when's the last time you knocked on doors? I don't know when I needed to borrow jumper cables from my neighbor. <laughs> but you're a city counselor. What gives? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know about that. And then on a serious note, I appreciate this comment. And some of you are actually talking about, you know, politics and the interview we just did. And that's fine, too. Fatima says we're still missing a big piece on council. You know, there's no black representation. Uh, she says, I'm going to push for even more uh, reflection of the representation of the population next term. Fair point. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, there were, what, 33 votes that separated, um, I love the last name, Hoyle, uh, in, oh, shoot, now I'm not going to remember the ward. My apologies. Uh, and they refused. Uh, elections yeah. said, no, we're not doing the recount. The, the recount. And she... You're talking about Rhiannon Hoyle, former president of the, Alberta, of the Alberta Party. Thank yeah, you. She was a great candidate. And how about Ahmed Ali, former poet laureate on our editorial board, uh, you know, didn't didn't win, um, which I know is disappointing for a lot of people. He'd be an amazing counselor. He'll do other great things. He is doing yeah. other great things. But yeah. Um, and, and then can I also point out that I think it's fair. Some people were in touch with us and, and some people that were critical of my uh, comments, my interpretation on Tuesday, um, you know, were saying, you know, when, when certain candidates were talking about the status quo and we were having some fun with that and like, you know, uh, Eric, who wrote into the show to say he was tired of the re- Edmonton's revolving door of brown immigrant bus driver mayors, which was maybe the line of the month, which was pretty good. Some people wrote in and said, hey, you guys have spent all this time talking about the dynamic, the makeup of these councils, gender, ethnicity, etc." What about political perspectives? What about positions on issues that matter to people? Where's uh, talk about diversity there or status quo there? And let me say, it's a fair point. It's a really fair point. But I think that a lot of times when it comes to elections, it's a great time to talk about composition and makeup and dynamic and representation and what that means. And this is all part of it. When we say we want to hear from you, we mean it. You know where you can find us. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. We've got a great roundtable coming up. It's Friday. That means it's the Real Talk Roundtable in just a second. ADHD in adulthood. We pushed this out yesterday. Hoyles makes the announcement from our, or maybe a couple of days ago, from our official Twitter account, Real Talk RJ, and automatically people were engaging. Automatically people were saying from across Canada, oh my gosh, so excited about this. They're tagging their friends in it. People are saying, if I would have known, and this includes one of our guests coming up, uh, Karen, in just a second, we're going to talk to her. We're going to get to know uh, Karen Richard. Uh, she says, if I would have known this like 20 years ago, my diagnosis would have changed everything. So we'll find out what that means. Learn a little bit more about ADHD. It's it's ADHD Awareness Month, as a matter of fact. October is, right? And so uh, we're happy to certainly learn a little bit more, to seek, to understand, as Stephen Covey would say. Uh, before we go there, let me remind you that the team at Westworld Computers is independently owned, which is a great reason to show them your support. Another is that they've been supporting us since day one. They're your Apple experts. And for more than 40 years, they've been providing sales and service. And most recently, of course, not just through the pandemic, not just at their brick and mortar location, but online as well. So if you have your eye on the new MacBook Pro, the new generation of iPad, maybe that new Series 7 Apple Watch or the iPhone 13, I recommend the Pro, the iPhone 13 Pro. What a phone, the Pro Max. If you're serious about your photos, there's no other phone like it on the market. They've got them in stock now and you can find them. They'll ship anywhere in Canada via Westworld. We also wanted to remind you that our friends at Eden Landscaping have a ton of experience on different projects. So whether you're looking for sort of more of a rustic look in your outdoor space, maybe your dream is a little bit more modern. Maybe you're looking for that sort of trapezoid design or, or maybe natural beauty. Maybe stonework is your thing or 
Maybe you and your family can't stop thinking about those three-season rooms that are the rage. You know, expand your footprint when it comes to living space, time you can spend together in and outdoors. What a great compromise that is. Eden Landscaping's doing them all, and they can do this construction through the winter in many cases. So it's always a great time to look them up at landscapeedmonton.ca. That's Eden Landscaping, great friends of us here at Real Talk. ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Oftentimes people use it as kind of a throwaway phrase, like I wonder if it's ADHD or I've always thought I might have ADHD. I mean, you know somebody probably that makes those comments. Maybe it's you, but but what do we actually understand about it? How does it impact people? What does treatment look like if that's a thing? What does life living with ADHD involve? Um, These are the questions that, of course, advocates would hope that the general public would ask as part of an awareness month. And that's why we're happy to dedicate time to this conversation today as uh, we welcome Dr. Karthian Ganapathy, uh, an ADHD specialist. Uh, Andre Brisson joining us. Andre was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. He's a podcaster, by the way. And Karen Richard, recently diagnosed with ADHD. HD as well. Welcome, a warm welcome to the three of you. Karen, I have to admit, I'm potentially mortified right out of the gates. Uh, a talk show out of here, out of Alberta. Is it Karen Richard? And I'm just blazing in calling you Karen Richard. I want to get this right. <laughs> no, it's uh, my husband would always say it's it's Richard, but his family's out from uh, Quebec. So if you're out east, Richard is, you know. What, what do you prefer? Because I see Andre's nodding. Andre's got this beautiful Andre <laughs> Brisson. I want to make sure that I get it right. What do you prefer, Karen? Uh, Richard, just because then nobody asks me how to spell it. Okay. <laughs> There you go. Nailed it. Well, we're excited to have the three of you here. I'd like to encourage you right out of the gate. If you'd like to add to what another one of our panelists is saying, if you want to almost interrupt in a way or if you want to take issue with something, please feel free to speak up. You don't have to wait for me to address you or tap you on the shoulder. Uh, Karen, you're just recently diagnosed with ADHD. How did this come about? Did you always suspect it? Honestly, no. Uh, I worked with a lot of, I worked as a speech pathologist for almost 20 years, uh, worked with a bunch of kids with ADHD, but the sort of stereotypical, you know, really active little boys that that you usually meet. Um, it really wasn't until I started having some really close friends uh, and then a really close family member who got a diagnosis about a year ago that I started doing a little bit more digging and research on it, uh, especially as it how it presents in women and started seeing a lot of, I'm not going to call them red flags, but (laughs) a lot of uh, indicators that really started making me think. Andre, uh, is is this, I mean, are you hearing some common themes here? I mean, is this something that you automatically relate to right out of the gates based on your experience? Yeah, immediately. I was only diagnosed a couple of years ago. Ah. um, And I've been searching, you know, I've done a lot of self- uh, self-learning, gaining my self-awareness, knowing what my strengths are, but there's always one thing missing that seemed to disrupt all these strengths. And, and then I was in the middle of a life tempest. I call it where I had bad partnerships with entrepreneurial journeys. Um, my kids actually ramped up my unknown symptoms and it just got to the point where I, I was not tolerable to be around. So I went and got help. And then that final puzzle piece that connected everything I learned about myself got connected. And that's why I call it my last puzzle piece. I just made clarity 
and get me to get rid of the character I've been playing for 44 years and then to get the true me out. Wow. I feel the exact same way. Is yeah, that right? Like I, I've said, I feel like I'm living a, a lot more congruently with how I want to yeah. live. And it feels like I have become the person that's always been in there, but for whatever reason has just been stifled. Dr. Ganapathy. Yeah. Oh, pardon me, Karen. Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, doctor, I'm not surprised that the, the podcaster here, that, that Andre has a way with words. Um, but how powerful to say this is this is something that was interrupting his strengths. And now upon his diagnosis, he's, he, he's able to better understand the character he's been playing for more than 40 years. Can you give us uh, from your clinical perspective, a, a lay person's understanding of what we're talking about with ADHD? You know, um, sure. You know, um, well, these these are stories which we actually kind of hear, you know, on day on a day to day basis. Actually, in our clinic, you know, um, they come and they get diagnosed quite later in the life, um, and and it's almost like suddenly they see that, you know, um, we realize that, you know, um, um, you know, once once a treatment is done, they feel like as if they are wearing a new set of glasses. The lives are, you know, kind of turned around a bit. Actually, um, they have not recognized this kind of problems what they had with, you know the attention, the concentration problems, the problems that they actually had with their executive functioning, a lot of impulsive behaviors, you know, impacting their ability in the, in the decision-making. And like what Andre kind of, you know, acknowledged here that, you know, he had in some run-in with some entrepreneurs and things like that. And suddenly increased stress comes in and then they are finding it difficult to juggle all the balls and, and, and they drop everything. They become suddenly so depressed. And, and and usually they go to the doctors, you know, and, and uh, the family physicians immediately, they diagnose them, you know, you're, you're diagnosed with depression. That has been the main focus of these people, actually. They get it treated for that. And, and very often they feel like something is missing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite better in my mood, but I'm still not there. You know, I'm still not able to kind of, you know, get my job done. I'm still not able to kind of focus things. And, and, and they still don't feel right. Um, they, they start coming to us later, you know, one, once they realize that, you know what, you know, I've read it on the internet, um, you know, my, my um, son got diagnosed with ADHD, uh, my friends actually pointed out, you're always scatterbrained, you're not actually kind of focusing here. And, and then they realize, okay, well, maybe, you know, I need to go and talk to a specialist here and, and, and then that's when they come to a door. So these kind of stories is, is something we hear every day. Um, it just... The, the prevalence of ADHD is so much, you know, it, it actually has a huge impact. It has a huge cost to our nation as well. Uh, I mean, we have probably have around, you know, 1.8 million patients of ADHD in, in Canada. And, and, uh, and that is a huge prevalence, actually, you know, considering that we have, a, you know, around 38 million population. Uh, and, and the way it is impacting the life, you know, um, um, in terms of the occupation, in terms of the relationship, what they have, and, and um, you know, the marriages, it is huge. I'm, uh, I got to be honest, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but this, and I'll acknowledge this is anecdotal, but our live chat right now, we've got an audience that, that joins us every morning, and, and a lot of times they'll wear their hearts on their sleeves. I mean, they'll just put it out there, their personal experiences. This is a nonstop stream of people talking right now about ADHD. I, I mean, Miranda says, I was told I was depressed. I was told that I had learning disabilities. I was told I had a bad attitude and I talked too much. 
Uh, Steli mm-hmm. says, I've been wondering yeah. for years if I'm on the <laughs> autism spectrum. You know, it's really yeah. hard to get a diagnosis. Uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, Hannah says, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 34. I was so relieved to understand my struggles were not due to me being inadequate or lazy. I mean, I could, I've got three mm-hmm. panelists here, so I want to hand things over to you. I could go on for, I could go on for 10 minutes reading these comments. Andre, it's obviously landing with you. I can tell. Yeah. Like the one thing for me was I was always, I did well in school. I had an engineer, I got an engineering degree. I, I ran successful companies. So for a while, like am I, when I was young, if you were smart, you did not have ADHD. There's no way. Yeah. And I, I still, right now, I still have a discussion with my general practitioner. He still doesn't think it, but the psychiatrist he respects diagnosed me, but it just makes no sense that you're too smart. And, and like yeah. women, they're more an inattentive ADHD so that it's more internal and not as hyperactive as a lot of the little boys are. So that's over, also overlooked. And I think that's where a lot of the diagnosis that I've seen, ever since I've been paying attention to this is the diagnosis are come from more successful um, and, and smart people, which were ignored in the past. Yeah, Karen, I couldn't just- agree more with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the first friend that I had diagnosed was a, a girl that, or a woman, I should say that I went to university with uh, getting master's degree. So yeah. these aren't slouches, even in, in conversations with my own family doctor, uh, you know, she, she just goes, her son had just gotten a diagnosis and she's thinking she might have it as well. So like, it's, it, and I completely agree with you, Andre, it's the, you were, you did well enough in school, so it wasn't a problem. And I was always the kid who talked too much, but mm-hmm. my brain was scattered, like yeah. trying to explain. It's almost like I, without treatment, it's like I, whether it's spinning plates or balls juggling in the air and an inability to just put things in line and think about them in a linear way. Yes, exactly. And for me, yeah. I mean, treatment has meant that now I can take all of those piles of everything and align them and I know where to start and where I'm going and how to get there. And I've just unlocked this, you know, extra level of superpowers at this point. Yeah. I love that, that analogy. Like for me, my psychiatrist mm-hmm. said that I, I was under the radar for so long because yeah. this, I created my own systems and mechanisms to overcome the symptoms without realizing mm-hmm. it, which would made me more normal to make me look more normal. And, and you know what, and like Dr. Ganapathy mentioned, it's like that caused a lot of stress. And I think Karen, you alluded to this too. It's like, you know, it takes a lot of mental energy to fit in and not to be Mm -hmm. the, either the the oddball or the outsider. Um, And it takes a toll on you. And then once I got that diagnosis, man, like, it's just like, wow, this is true me. And I've always known it down deep, deep Mm -hmm. inside. I always knew this is the way I solve problems. This is how I am. There's nothing wrong with you, but everyone keeps telling me uh, something's wrong with me. So I must be wrong. But now it's like, no, that's, that's crap, man. I know who I am. I know there's some symptoms that become problematic in social settings, which doesn't help with my mild Asperger's as, uh, diagnosis, but knowing that and being aware of that is an eye opener. Can I I ask, and and, and actually I'd love for all three of you to answer this because, you you know, you'll answer based on your lived experience. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Ganapathy, based on on your medical experience as well. But um, let me go to you first, doctor. Uh, First of all, is ADHD, does it does it qualify as a so-called learning disability? In some cases, could it be perceived as or manifest itself as a gift? I mean, how do you sort of understand it? Uh, Is it different for every person? Well, 
you know, um, um, let me, you know, um, kind of, you know, explain based on how we actually as medical professionals look at it. Learning disability or, or, you know, learning disorder actually per se actually is a completely different diagnosis. So there are two different categories here. One, what we call about as intellectual disability. These are people who are obviously, you know, uh, you know their, their IQ is low and, and, and they are you know, not able to function well, you know, academically and, and, uh, and socially as well. And there are other group of people who have what we call as learning disorders, who actually is like, you know, the, the people with dyslexia. They have reading difficulties, writing difficulties, and the pronunciation is difficult, actually. So those are two different disorders we, we in, in medically we, we kind of relate to. In ADHD, the interesting thing is the knowledge is not the problem. There's the performance that is a problem. Yeah. And, and that is the point I think we want to get it out to everybody, actually. And also the other important point people have to recognize, it's not really attention deficit disorder. It's actually the, the nomenclature is not right. <laughs> it is actually an uh, attention regulation disorder you know the problem is in in regulating the attention they can hyper focus on things if they are interested in it you know i mean you give an adhd guy with with something to play with i mean he, he plays video games for four hours eight of us and uh, you know um, you ask them they watch netflix for hours so they are focusing they are concentrating the only thing is you know there's something motivating them and then suddenly they are able to involve in it but they're not regulating that, you know, to the extent that they can actually say, okay, I'm going to apply my brakes here. I'm going to move on to another one. Now, this is where I think people sometimes say, hey, I got the gift here with ADHD because when I have ADHD, I'm able to kind of have the superpowers and I'm able to kind of, you know, focus on it. I'm able to get it done. What they are alluding to is, is basically that they're able to hyper-focus on things and, uh, you know, and they're able to achieve a lot. I mean, it, it, is, it is in some ways, you know, um, uh, they can do it in spurts, but the problem is at what cost? You know, uh, the problem is they might achieve in one area, the other area, they might actually lose out on the relationships. They might, they might be the absent father who's never been there, but, you know, um, yeah. you know so those kind of difficulties starts coming in. So they might do a little bit better in the business and, and which they are probably trying to say, but, but the problem is, again, you know, they can become consistently inconsistent, you know. Um, you know, they can, they can go well and then suddenly fail and then go well and suddenly fail. Um, so I don't consider this as exactly a, a huge gift. And the scientific, actually, evidence is, is also telling us that ADHD people consistently underperform over a longitudinal, you know, um, you know a course, compared to the other people, actually. So there is a bit of a disability there because of this ADHD. And, and that is where I think, you know, um, um, you know, professionals like us are advocating to the government and everybody to recognize this as a problem. Of course, you know, um, um, you know, people with ADHD has control over it. So that is where a lot of people come to me and say, hey, can you not, you know, I have ADHD diagnosis. Can you not sign me on benefits and things like that? It's not like, you know, somebody with actually a mental illness who's hearing voices, right, where they don't actually have, you know, any control over that. Here, people actually have some control over it and, and uh, a good percent of control over it. And therefore, we say to them, hey, you know what? When this is a problem, of course, if you have depression, if you have anxiety and anything is impacting you very badly, we can easily fill up and support you with those things. But otherwise, if you get the treatment and, and you will get better. 
And the good thing about this is, and the so satisfying thing as a professional for me is that I see awesome responses when I treat these patients. Uh, almost, you know, eight out of 10 patients of mine, you know, I mean, they, they, they get through and the literature supports it as well. We just have to find the right medication, you know, do a little bit of a, a, a switch and swap. I do tell my patients it's not a sprint, so don't rush into it. It's a bit of a marathon. And, and, um, and particularly when people with ADHD and when their old age group come in, they come in with multiple layers of other problems. Uh, I, I have a 17-year-old kid who I saw last week, you know, I mean, you know, putting him on one medication, he's already saying, hey, I'm doing really well. I'm actually very happy. Thank you very much. You know, and, and whereas, you know, when I see a patient with adult ADHD, they come in with, you know, there's already depression there. There's already family issues going on. They're separating from the marriage. Financially, they're almost going down, bankrupt, you know, and, and there are so many other layers of things that comes in where we are focusing suddenly on, hey, I'm using cannabis, you know, to cope. That is the only thing that gets me through the day, right? And therefore, there's a lot of problem that adds on. So I would like to say that the question, I, I know I gave a bit of a long-winded answer, it's but okay. when people say what they are trying to say about ADHD as a gift is that what they're, you know, saying is, hey, maybe I can hyper-focus and I have a lot of energy to get things done. And of course, it will help you to a certain extent, but be cautious, you know, um, it's, it's not going to be on the long run, actually, you know, uh, you still have to learn to regulate it. And, and, and that's where actually, you know, you might need to be cautious, actually. I want to integrate some more audience commentary into this. Lisa, I think my question resonated with her a little bit. She says, yes, a gift. Uh, she says, my daughter is a research queen. Lisa says, I mentioned a foot. She says, I mentioned a football helmet on Sunday and I ended up with a 20 minute lesson on the types and technology that they're using. The science that's going into NFL football helmets, says Lisa. Karen, it looks like that's resonating with you. Yeah, it's I mean, I for like I said, I worked as an SLP for 20 years and always felt like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I worked really hard to get there, but it just wasn't enough. So I was constantly searching for something new. And it's it's, you know, I, I just always t called myself, you know, a lifelong learner. I'm, I'm always throwing myself into some other various form of specialty within the field. And uh, about a year ago, I, I left it entirely. And now I work in startup, which is just feeds everything that my ADHD brain wants. I've got novelty and change and I'm constantly learning something new. And it's, uh, you know, I can definitely relate to what you were saying, doctor, about, you know, the fits and starts and the, the crashes. And it's it's been certainly a learning curve and moving away from everything I knew into stripping away all of that structure of a regular workday that is really when my symptoms blew up in my face. Um, you know, yeah, the perception of being lazy or or not able to to do things. But now as I'm figuring it out, it's, you know, I, I have found a way to live a life that's more in line with who I am and, and how my brain works, which I think is really important. Karen, you're talking a bit about your work. We should there's there should be many perks to appearing on Real Talk, and one of them should be <laughs> shameless shouts out with regards to what you do. So as mentioned, you, you, you have a ton of experience as a speech language pathologist, but you're also a tech entrepreneur. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Made Live. This is this is like you 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 allow people you created software so people can self-publish children's books. How cool is that? Exactly. 
It's very cool. I, I've been obsessed with kids' books, you know, my entire career. Uh, always used them in therapy with the kids that I worked with, um, and had initially walked away from my job hoping to write children's fiction, and then stumbled into the fact that there's no real great way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, outside of traditional publishing, so there's software for novelists. There's really great things, but once you start integrating those images, it becomes really, really tricky if you you know, aren't super adept at Adobe Illustrator. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So my, my husband is uh, my tech co-founder and I, I got built in software development. Uh, so he and I have, <laughs> have built some software. Yeah, exactly. We're heading into uh some beta testing right away so we're hoping to launch in early 2022 i think I, it's caught my attention because i've got one friend in particular he's 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 certain that he's going to wind up writing a kid's book and i feel like he has i think he has the ability i know he has the ability and so it caught my attention what you're doing okay now shameless plug for andre let's point out that his podcast is is called the impulsive thinker a podcast for the mm -hmm. high achieving the high achieving adhd entrepreneur <laughs> Uh, with Andre Brisson, I absolutely love your logo, Andre. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, what's been the response? I mean, like I said, I'm I'm wowed. I'm not surprised, but I'm impressed uh, by the magnitude of commentary and the significance of it that we're seeing from our live audience. What's your audience response? I mean, you've got a podcast specifically about this. You must have this kind of nation of this community of people that gather to to talk about not just the challenges, but maybe some of the joys as well. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing that a lot of the high achieving or high performing entrepreneurs that are often missed being diagnosed is that, um, you know, we've got a lot of success. We've got a lot of accomplishments, but <laughs> we don't see that. We don't acknowledge that. It's like for me, it's the task is done on to the next. I got to keep going or I, I get depressed. And with that is we almost seem to, we forgot to go to school to be happy. So um, having that thought is talking with a lot of other entrepreneurs is I've created a lot of shortcuts and mechanisms to overcome my symptoms. And I refined them after I got diagnosed. So I got shortcuts to overcome my executive functioning deficits. And the one thing I really did was, you know, I, I was diagnosed diabetes type two first, and I'm glad I got diagnosed that first before my ADHD, because I learned how to manage diabetes. Mm. It's like, you know what? I have it. There's nothing I can do about it. It's there for life, but I can control it. So I control the diabetes. I lost 70 pounds. I'm, I got, you know, really good numbers. So it's not damaging me. And then when I got diagnosed to ADHD, I looked at that and said, I can manage it. It's not much I can do, but I've always won about finding personal strengths, identifying people's strengths. But if you don't use your strengths properly, they can become your weaknesses. So I melt that with when my symptoms took over my life. Now that became a weakness that became a disorder. So now I just flipped the switch. I said, now if I manage these symptoms, quote unquote, I've turned them into my strengths where I can able to harness my ADHD abilities and strengths. Like for me, hyper-focus, impulsivity, um, believe it or not, once it's managed, it's good for problem solving. I'm really good at solving problems that other people give up on and find solutions where people can't see it or they gave up on. Hmm. So that, and, and that is like a lot of people are wondering, people are, a lot of people were learning from me. So I decided to throw it as a podcast and I'm talking to a lot of bright um, ADHD entrepreneurs and the spin I'm taking on it and what I don't hear from other uh, ADHD podcasts is I'm celebrating successful ADHD entrepreneurs 
but also they're communicating. They're still having challenges and this is how they overcame it. I love it. I I, thought that was an important one. I suspect you're going to see a bit of an uptick uh, in subscribers today, which is awesome. Again, Andre's podcast, the impulsive thinker Uh, back to the live chat. Some random guy says, maybe I actually have a textbook case of ADHD and I just never knew about it. Doctor, what yeah, should people right. does that sound? I mean, that sounds like it's both yeah. of your testimonies, Karen and yourself, Andre. Uh, doctor, what what should people be looking out for? I mean, how is misdiagnosis kind of a common thing? Let me let me just swerve off as I do for a moment. And 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 maybe this is my old school thinking. I don't know. And maybe all three of you will wince and cringe as I say this, or maybe you're hoping it comes up so you can address it. But we've all heard it, right? We've all heard the people that think it's kind of fake or not real or exaggerated, you know, ah, the yeah. schools, these teachers, the doctors, they just want to throw riddle in at everybody. Uh, everybody's got ADHD. When I was young, you know, my teacher cracked the whip and we'd all just pay attention. Like I acknowledge it sounds like, you know, 85 years ago when they were still strapping kids with birch whip, you know, but doc, I mean, what's the deal when it comes to the science behind the diagnosis, what we know about it, etc. Well, Basically, you know, I mean, um, ADHD is, is actually the, the most common, you know, psychiatric disorder, uh, you know, and, and um, uh, it, it's um, the science basically kind of validates the diagnosis, you know, um, far better, you know, than any other kind of, you know, uh, problems, I would say. It has been conclusively proved that actually, you know, people with ADHD's brain are very different, actually. And there are problems in, in the frontal lobe, you know, and, and, and different parts of the brain. It's been clearly proved beyond doubt, actually, on that. It's unfortunate is uh, that, that, you know, people still don't actually have this concept, actually, very clearly that that got in. Now, what we do know is, and, and particularly where the professionals have actually failed a little bit is, um, the science has been advancing to prove that actually ADHD carries on even after the adolescence, you know, and that is where actually even, you know, professionals like us, when we were initially trained as psychiatrists, we were told that ADHD actually is a childhood psychiatric disorder and people basically grow out of it by the age of 18. But what we really know is that that's not the case. 60% of the people who actually have ADHD as a child continue to have impairment. But if you look at the, the diagnostic, they probably 80% will still have the symptoms. But only when you have impairment, we call it as a disorder. Now, if you're attention deficit, if you are not able to regulate it well, and if you're having executive functioning problems, you have a nice secretary to look after all those things, and you're coping okay, then that's fine. You know, we're very happy for you, right? You don't need to come in and, and get those things done and, and, and do that. The problem is that when these kids actually become older and, and they grow, they have problems in, in regulating their attention. So the typical story goes on is that, you know, these are the young kids, you know, who either get diagnosed or missed, you know, or, or underdiagnosed when they are young. And then when they actually, you know, um, grow, you know, when they go to the grade seven, there's a little bit more stress around, a little bit more homework, but really it hits them only when they go to university they suddenly notice they have to work doubly hard than their own colleagues who are probably not working as hard, you know, and, and they're noticing like, hey, why am I actually have to spend more time? I'm not actually spending, you know, uh, having as much fun. They cope, have multiple relationships, you know, impulsive decision-making, um, you know, young kids, you know, early pregnancies. These are some of the things that happens. But as an adult, 
they start having problems they start you know binge eating overeating is common which later leads on to kind of you know having problems with obesity and that leads to diabetes and then goes on with with sleep apnea problems and and then they come to us quite late actually you know saying hey i have all these problems i'm depressed uh, you know none of the medications are working for me right and and you can see this consistent course happening and the science has clearly proved this that this is the natural course of this disease if only we have diagnosed this person earlier and treated them with the appropriate medication they would have had far less life events the impulsive decision making would have been a lot more less you know the financial management would have been far better the careers might be in a lot more you know easier for them they probably would have not blurted out so many things and made some impulsive angry outbursts comments oh, yeah. you know and, and they probably would have not lost relationships mm-hmm. yeah you know and and you know unfortunately you know by the time they come to us you know um, they develop so much problems you know um, including you know physical health issues like diabetes obesity and and you know um, uh, and sleep apnea they develop mental health issues and one of the common things i see in these people is actually they come in with depression they tried oh i tried prozac i tried this the gpc is nothing is working for me and then they refer to them actually and we actually have to then you know uh, we we explain to them the problem is actually in the dopamine and the norepinephrine so going back to the signs it's clearly actually shows that there is the dysregulation here there's a problem in in regulating these neurotransmitters and and basically you know the maturation of the brain is a problem it's it's uh, it's not just the nerve cells are not as mature enough as as appropriate to that particular age actually and some of them continue to have difficulties the whole lifespan and and this has been science has conclusively proved this as well so this diagnosis is a very valid diagnosis you know and and, and there is no doubt about it um and i can tell you majority of the people who look on the internet and came to me saying that you know hey uh, uh, i actually had the symptoms what do you think i would say 9 out of 10 people are absolutely spot on you know there is an occasional you know um, person who probably might be looking for a stimulant actually but i would say 90 95% of the people they are fine they are actually quite right it's been underdiagnosed or, or misdiagnosed at many places actually and and unfortunately you know um, they don't get the the right treatment behind that i would like to add one important point to this as well um very often adhd has looked up on us as attention regulation problems or executive functioning hyperactivity impulsivity but one of the other important problems they have is actually mood regulation oh, yeah. so the attention goes up and down the mood the, the 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 hyperactivity is up and down but the mood is also up and down and and unfortunately because of their emotional dysregulation you know they get into you know a lot of relationship difficulties uh, both at the personal level with their own partners or at at, at the uh, you know workplace you know they just shout back and they get angry actually mm-hmm. and and um, and of course you know uh, this leads them to be fired you know i mean uh, i i very often say to my clients hey you forget some things you you you're running late you apologize your boss is okay you know your wife is okay but if you start getting angry and you start becoming you know defensive and you start shouting back they're not going to like it you know when and, and therefore get your mood under control you know get your emotion under control yeah. I, i can tell doctor that what you're saying about mood regulation uh resonated with andre and karen i want to hand uh the mic to them here but i want to put provide some context with with regards to where the audience is at i mean hope 
shares with us. She said, I, I, I had lost hope. In fact, she says, as I kept losing jobs after working 20 years in the same industry, I couldn't catch on to new systems. I felt like I was operating in a fog, says Hope. And then unfortunately, says I got medicated. I landed a job and then the pandemic hit. It's been a tough stretch for her. But but this is a really interesting question, too, from Rach. Uh, Rach is listening in, says and wonders aloud to the audience. And, and, and let me put it even to our panelists here. How many of you have disclosed your diagnosis to your employer? Are there any success stories? Rach says, I'm nervous to ask for accommodations. Andre, what would you tell her? That I can't answer because I'm unemployable. That's why I started in an engineering company hmm. and started a, an ADHD high performing entrepreneur coaching company. Um, that's a tough one for me. I, I've never... I've never been ashamed of what I do or whatnot. So when I got the ADHD diagnosis, it's out there with everyone. Like the emotional dysregulation, like the doctor was talking about, that, that, that's huge. Now you put in the fact that you got an impulsivity inhibition. My prefrontal cortex, which is the filter, I've always been accused of never having a filter, which is actually true. My prefrontal cortex is not filtering my impulsive thoughts. They come out. And then now throw in the emotion, like, the way it's explained to me is that people with ADHD, their emotions are felt intensely, like a thousand times more than a typical person. So mm-hmm. I get it. It's, and it's like my pri- primitive brain. It's a fight, flight, or react. I get attacked. Like someone just putting a file on my desk, that seems to be an attack. And I'll immediately go, what are you doing? But if I was able to stop thinking, Ugh, oh, wait a minute, stop. That's just a file. No, it's already out there. The impulsivity comes out. The prefrontal cortex is not filtering that reaction. So it comes out and it does damage. I've lost a lot of staff. I've lost a lot of clients because of the emotional dysregulation, which is not really talked about in the DSM. But fortunately, my psychiatrist was well-educated on that. And we've had a lot of chats about that. And it is, it's a mood thing, how to regulate that mood. Um, it's a tough one if you're working somewhere because it, it all depends if people are going to believe it or not or believe in ADHD. I still have people that says ADHD doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. So I, mean, I, I, I I'm not like even I said I haven't had a job since 2007, so <clears throat> I, and, I can't answer that. And Andre, first of all, I just I just love. Uh, can I just say this? This roundtable is like this is how roundtables are supposed to go. So first of all, the three of you are just nailing it right now. And your message is really resonating with people. I mean, you know, we've, we've got Steph is watching right now. She says he is exactly describing me exactly describing me. Uh, Karen, what are you hearing from Andre or from uh, Dr. Ganapathy? That's resonating. I, mean, I saw when he talked about behavior or mood regulation, it, it seemed you, you kind of your face lit up a little bit there. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's something that I'm currently exploring with my own family doctor. So uh, obviously speaking from my own personal experience, um, diagnosis as a woman with ADHD, we have a lot of hormonal shifts mm. week to week and day to day. So there's we get that that uh, the mood shifting as well. But I'm starting to find that there are just certain times where the meds that worked great two weeks ago are not working great and I'm back, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm back in the fog. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, do we need to have a way to have a higher dose during certain times of the month, quite frankly. Mm. Um, so that's been a little bit more of a challenge. I did have an expectation that I would try my meds and and a couple other, you know, ways to hack my life and that would be that and I'd be good. 
Um, and that's not, you know, it's it's not as smooth of a process as I expected, but with good medical support, I'm I'm confident we're gonna figure out what works. Um, so it's it, it's a challenge. It's it's you know, there's I wish they were all great days. When they're great days, they're like a ten out of ten. Yeah. But yeah. then I'll get a, a three or a string of threes and they're they're not so great. So um to the point of, you know, whether or not to disclose this to an employer. I mean, that, obviously that's personal choice. Um, I, I, it would be pretty discriminatory if it wasn't uh, taken seriously or if it was downplayed. Um, I personally left my, my work a, about a year ago, uh, but had previously been diagnosed with uh, anxiety and had shared that there. And that was received well. So, you know, it really just depends on the support that you've got in supervisors and, and those that you work alongside. Um, but I also am an open book. I want people to know what they're dealing with and who they're dealing with. So I've been sharing my journey while I've been doing this entrepreneurship thing. Uh, I've been doing an accelerate program out of uh, accelerator program rather out of Kelowna mm. and have shared this whole journey with uh, the, the boards as I sit in on quarterly meetings. And that's been incredible feedback. The number of female entrepreneurs and other people who are going, man, that sounds like me. And, you know, just being able to be open and sharing, it doesn't feel like that is standing in my way. It feels like it's opening up more connections and more understanding for people. And, you know, in yeah. in light of it being ADHD Awareness Month, I think we need to talk about it. So if you're comfortable, talk about it. Well, Share your experience. I mean, I'll yeah, tell we you, need people like you, Karen, out there, and I appreciate your story. Well, and you, sure. Andre, I mean, your podcast like, is great. Let, let me just say, I, as a testament to you three and to my audience, quite to our audience, I mean, I'm just blown away right now. Um, the more we talk, the longer the list of questions gets, which I think means that we're accomplishing <laughs> what we're trying to accomplish. But Andre, back to you. Um, like the one thing I would add to that, disclosing it to your employer, like there are ways rather than just saying I'm ADHD, figure out what your your symptom or your your challenge is and then approach it to your supervisor with the challenge you're having with a solution. If if I can have, you know, show up two hours later and work two hours later, I can get more productivity out. Like, for example, but if you come up with a solution and then you can promise some positive results, they can try it. You're most likely going to have the opportunity to have that ex experiment to be tried, but not just come up say you have ADHD and, and have for you to figure it out. Yeah. Doctor, to, um, sorry, Andre, I, I didn't mean to step on your toes there, but doctor, let me ask you, there, there's an interesting and, and you mm -hmm. can pick up on that to be sure. Uh, but there's the audience is really quite interested right now to learn more about the, the uh, how how. Uh, how do I want to fight? I guess essentially how gender or, you know, I mean, how, how hormones or how our genetic makeup, uh, how who we are inherently can impact uh, ADHD, the diagnosis or how it manifests itself. This has really resonated with this audience. If you could pick up with that and, and run with it. Um, yes. Um, hopefully, Ryan, you can hear me well. I've got a little bit of disturbance in the connection there. We can hear you, Doc. Um, you bet. Well, Awesome. Okay. Well, um, um, you know, basically, you know, um, women with ADHD, you know, um, interestingly, you know, are not diagnosed as much as uh, men are, you know, um, particularly in the young age. So if you look at the studies, uh, the children actually, at least three boys are diagnosed, but only one girl is actually diagnosed as a child. 
And does it mean to say that actually less women are there? I mean, it, it's really you know, uh, interesting because when you look at the adult age group, it almost kind of narrows down and, and, and there is actually a lot more people who are now, you know, uh, and, and diagnosed with one to one. So uh, I think, you know, he's certainly picking up on it. And, um, you know, uh, um, why, why don't women get diagnosed as a, as a child? Well, no, the reason, because uh, they are quiet. They're just not punching people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, they're just sitting down and do thing and... Doc, we're just and, losing you know, your uh, signal for a. We're, we're, we're experiencing um, you know, just a, a mild interruption. So, if you're ahead, sitting in the corner, who's quite intelligent enough uh, to kind of really grasp the subject. Doctor, sorry, we're just getting a bit of an interruption with your signal there, but we heard the majority of, w- of what you said. Uh, Karen, he, it kind of reminded me, as a matter of fact, of, of one of your tweets uh, that caught our attention. And I wanted to reference this. You, you, you tweeted on, on October the 8th. You said, I was diagnosed with ADHD about a month ago. I'm 40. You say, I'm upset thinking what I could have accomplished if it would have happened in my 20s. Bring on the new ADHD me. What does that mean exactly? What kind of a difference do you think it might have made in your 20s or your 30s? Uh, you know, I like I, I had said earlier, I, I felt like I have spent time in a career where, you know, I, I did like whatever get fired, but I got itchy feet and I left. And, you know, I used to live in Edmonton, worked there for years. Great job. Great employer. But I got bored. So I was off to Calgary and then, you know, I just, I hopped around quite a lot. So my impulsive decision-making has been around uh, career things. I'm, you know, the, the new ADHD me is I, I understand myself. I understand what I'm interested in. And I, I have a new level of confidence of being able to pursue the things that resonate with me and that matter. Um, I, I strongly believe prior to considering this, I didn't have the guts to leave my career. I was so committed and loyal to it and it had taken me so long to get there and so much work to get there. I didn't want to leave. Um, but now, you know, living much more congruently with who I want to be and who I really feel I am. Um, which also means open and honest and forthcoming about my strengths and my challenges and if I'm having a good day or a bad day and and all of that, everything that comes with it. I love that, but I love that you include strengths. You're saying to be honest and forthright yeah. about my strengths mm-hmm. and my challenges, and I think that's such a great way to look at it. Um, I want to note that I want to respect all of your time, um, and, and you know we're hitting kind of the 40 minute mark here, but I still have a ton of questions. Let me say, sort of, let me give you this as 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 what uh, one of my friends would call the close watch. So we're not wrapping immediately, but we will in soon uh, soon we shall wrap. And so if there's anything you want to keep putting out there, but but I want to I want to talk about treatment. Before we go, and obviously, doctor, we'll be interested in your perspective on it from from a physician's perspective, of course, an expert perspective, but but the lived experience works, too. And we've got a whole bunch of people talking about what's worked for them. I mean, Chris just joined our conversation. He says, I came in late. Has anybody talked yet about cognitive behavioral therapy? He says, I'm wondering if it could be effective for ADHD in conjunction with meds. Um, Andre, you, you talked about your treatment Doctor, you talked about cannabis. I want to follow up on that. But Andre, let's go with you first. Treatment-wise, we'll acknowledge that the same game plan doesn't work for everybody. But what's worked for you? um, I'm still two and a half years in. We're still trying to figure out the medication. 
Um, I have taken CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, and it wasn't directed to ADHD primarily, but I, I benefited from it. It's about catching your negative thoughts, catching it, checking it, and releasing it. Um, and I'm also signed up for DBT, the dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, which is very promising. It, it, to me, the way I understand it is we see the, the life as black and white and DBT will help us work with the gray or take a look at the black and say that there is a white side to it. Um, and I'll help with a lot of the personal inter interrelations of uh, intolerance, uh, frustration, intolerance, which yeah, I do um, impatience. Um, but a lot of it is I learned a lot about the ADHD. I learned how the ADHD brain functions and works and how that correlated with my symptoms and my, my challenges. Um, and, but it's constant, you know, I see my psychiatrist every four or five months, we have a conversation and we, we tweak stuff as we go. Um, and a good resource, if I don't mind plugging is CADAC, the center of ADHD awareness, Canada, C-A-D-D-A-C.ca. Um, people across the world go to the CADAC website for resources um, so there's a lot of information there. And it's a charity, Canadian charity for ADHD. Started over 20 years ago by Heidi Bernhardt, who had a family of ADHD and she's not ADHD, but at the time there's no information out there. So she created it. Doctor, let me go to you next. With, with regards to, to therapy, to treatment, obviously I would imagine there are a ton of different approaches to it. So what should people consider? Well, the basic thing first they got to do is you know, see a specialist and, and make sure that they actually get the diagnosis. Uh, when they see as adults, it's important they see a specialist for no other reason. They need to, of course, identify the ADHD, which I believe is usually straightforward, but you also have to identify the other underlying layers which comes mm -hmm. along with it, which I talked earlier, and you will need help with that as well. The second thing is get yourself as much educated about this adult ADHD because there are a lot of misconceptions about it. You know, and I liked, you know, what Andre pointed out, you know, CADAC is a great website, you know, CADRAC, Canadian ADHD Resource Alliance, that's the one which is another organization which actually guides all the professionals, uh, you know, well, in Canada, it's one of the leading organizations, and it puts out about the medications, how we go about it and everything, there are some resources there as well. And you can actually look at these kind of really validated websites, actually, which will give you a very good information. And, and, and then I would say medications is still the very first, first line treatment. ADHD is really a problem, which is, I would say, is highly genetic. There are problems in your brain. And you have to acknowledge that and, and try to make sure that you actually take some medications actually to help you. Um, I would say that some people might, you know, stimulants are the first line of treatment. I mean, whatever I'm saying, I'm just going to say it broadly. It's not a medical advice. You still have to see the doctor to talk about it. And, and the next thing is, obviously, there are non-stimulant options as well. People come to me, they ask me, well, you know, um, you know, can I not go on medications? Can I do other things? Of course, you know, you can try other things. You know, um, um, certainly, you know, uh, you can actually try, you know, um, um, you know, educating yourself as much as possible with your ADHD. Do the CBT for ADHD. And, you know, I, I loved what Andre said now. He got a CBT for depression, actually. That is what all about, you know, identifying the negative thoughts and everything. But what you need is, is CBT for your ADHD, which is a completely different ballgame. And uh, the unfortunate part about it is the number of specialists who do that is actually quite low. And, and, and that's where 
the difficulty comes in actually um so you know you might have to go to a trained um psychologist or the therapist or in this field uh there are some adhd coaches who do some awesome work and they are actually able to help with people you know um, uh, with their executive functioning deficits they give them guidelines on on what else to do identify the each problem what they have and they give them some practical strategies and you know and and that's where it ties in with the third thing you talked about you know about the um, um accommodation you know i mean the doctors might be able to give you a letter which basically says that you know hey you have these difficulties maybe you might actually need some help here right and 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 those are things which can be tailored actually in your exam situations and other things as well so you need to get help for that as well and once you get all those things i would say after doing these things try avoiding things which is actually not helpful for uh, your adhd and and that's where i think uh, ryan you were you were mentioning about this cannabis and uh, you know i mean i would like to talk about it i always you know have a, a bit of a lecture to my clients sometimes they don't like it i apologize say to them okay i'll just send you some information by email and you can have a look at it and you think about it um you know i mean cannabis is great in terms of helping people actually on the short run on the long run though it's unfortunately actually has some problems and and cbd is not a huge issue from my point of view but i think thc is a problem anyway cbd is a bit of a gateway and people end up going on thc and evidence has been saying that if you're going to do it consistently every day it affects your functioning affects the attention and concentration actually and it's not helpful but the problem is goes down they actually find it very very helpful and and uh, and therefore they take it and i don't blame them i mean if if you know the medical professionals if their family doctors if they can't help with their problems what are they going to do they're going to try something actually that is easily accessible and there is a friend who's somebody saying to them you know uh, you know here try this you will actually feel a lot mm. better and and therefore people are going to try it and 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 they are going to come in here what i think you know that's where the specialists will will be able to really help people to say you know what i have this kind of problems use this opportunity to educate people is that a lot of people with adhd actually has um, you know racing thoughts going in their head and they all have what we call as a delayed sleep phase syndrome not everybody quite a few of them actually and and what it means is that these people tend to go bad at least Doc, we're kind of losing your signal, unfortunately, uh, but I think we got the gist of, of, of basically what you're saying, and I appreciate the nuance there. And it is important, I think, to, to have responsible conversations around cannabis and to point out that it's not for everybody, and in some cases, it certainly can be detrimental, just like anything else. And, and I appreciate that, Karen. Is it too soon for us to ask you? You're about, I guess, you're about what six weeks, seven weeks into this diagnosis. Is is it too soon to ask you about what's working and what's not? Uh, you no, know, I mean, I, I don't have the answers. I don't think this journey is done. I mean, as Andre said, he's a couple of years into figuring out, you know, treatments and, and what's working. Um, I did CBT before for anxiety that certainly helped, but I think the, the, the key thing that jumped out at me, uh, when, when my other panelists here were, were chatting was know yourself learn more, educate yourself. It really wasn't until I started finding, and and for me uh female specific adult women you know women with with ADHD specifically um i had found a, a great podcast called uh, ADHD for smart ass women 
Um, that one was a good one. eye-opening. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, and a YouTube channel called How to ADHD. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, you know, they have the experts on. They talk about why am I not motivated? What's wrong with me? I mean, it's really trying to help you understand yourself. And then when you understand yourself, you're better able to go and advocate for yourself with your doctor, with your employer, with whoever. But, you know, if you don't understand yourself, you're, how do you solve that challenge? How do you overcome that problem? So that's been really key for me. Um, you know, meds are working great for me. I've got a, a, a great partner who will call me out uh, in a very gentle way of letting me know, like, hey, are your meds working great today? Um, <laughs> Dangerous question. Know, it, like, you know, we, we, we have a very uh, a, a good conversational yeah. and uh, yeah, we, we just have a, a great way of, of sort of, you know, talking about our mental health in our house. Um, I think that's really important. But just, you know, surrounding yourself with people who do believe you because it's not fake. It's not all in your head. I mean, it's neurological, but it's it's real and it has a real impact. And so has treatment. I mean, I, I feel like me for the first time and I'm 40. Like it's yeah. it, to awesome. say it's life changing is an understatement. Hmm. The environment has a big impact, too. So like what Karen explained, she's in a positive environment that's supportive. Yeah. That really helps with your symptoms. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I changed my environment at my office that supported my symptoms, um, it changed. So, like, the other thing, too, is what I've learned from other ADHD people and the, the experts have been living to is we can never solve our ADHD and be 100% perfect and no. cured. Uh, we're going to have good days and bad days as long as, as long as we live. But actually just trying to put in the effort is what's matter. So, to get the diagnosis was good, but to also realize and understand that it's you won't fix it, you will never be able to fix it, helps you with managing it from day to day. And the environment is key. Like, that's what I did. I fired a bunch of people around me, customers, bad staff, the negative. Um, and then I'm surrounding myself with equal like-minded individuals, entrepreneurs. And then all of a sudden, I've, I've discovered a support structure I've never had in my life. I was always looking for the wrong crowd. I uh, so I I hope that if the three of you find some time in your day after giving us an hour, thank you. Uh, that you go back and you actually, if you watch this on YouTube, you'll be able to read the comments in real time. And I encourage okay. you if, if if you have a chance to go back, you'll see it speaks for itself the impact that the three of you have had on our audience today. Adrian says many thanks to these guests. It says as an advocate and as a support person, there is so much to learn and talking about this helps so much. Uh, you know, others are just saying they're grateful that we can have this conversation. I mean, Kimberly says she's crying happy tears. Others are saying I'm just grateful that we can have this conversation, Steph says, and that we can discuss it openly. Uh, Steph says, uh, by the way, Dr. Ganapathy is amazing. Can we please have his contact information? Yes, you sure can. You can check out envisionmindcare.com. If you'd like to learn more about what the good doctor is doing, that's envisionmindcare.com. And of course, we want to mention Andre's podcast again, The Impulsive Thinker, a podcast.
podcast for the high achieving ADHD entrepreneur that's hosted by our guest, Andre Brisson. Uh, Karen Richard has joined us. And of course, Dr. Karthikian Ganapathy to the three of you. We wanted to do something meaningful and real and legit and informative uh, when it came to ADHD Awareness Month. And uh, with with the, the assistance, the great help of, of course, the producer of the show, Sarah Hoyles, the three of you have delivered. Thank you uh, sincerely. Thank you. Thanks for this Thank opportunity. You. you bet. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. Look at this smile. Can we take Sarah's just to, oh now you're gonna wipe it off. You now you're just going back to you had to, you that was a satisfied smile. That was a great round table. That was really good. That that was one where, where Hoyles tried to wipe the smile off and yeah. just couldn't. <laughs> but you know what I wish people could see? We almost need to have yeah. like a, a Hoyles and Brooks cam. We need to all kind of have cameras on you guys through the whole interviews because Sam is so animated and you and and I feel because you feel deeply. Can I just say, can I say that you feel very deeply and I can tell. And so when people are talking, I mean, the joys and you're like, oh, but then some people say something, including on our live chat about the sorrow that they feel. And and people are talking about getting years back or wishing they could rewind the clock and ask their doctor or get that diagnosis. And and for a lot of people, I think, you know, this this is a real I mean, this is the most obvious thing I'm going to say. But like, what a journey for people, including Karen. I mean, you can see it on her face what she she's six months or six weeks removed from a diagnosis that was great i i just feel so privileged to get to for us to be entrusted with folks stories Mm -hmm. and that that just to always have that feeling like i i know something's up i know something is up but i'm not a medical expert so what how 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 can i how can i communicate that i don't have the words for it and it's good to have you gotta have the doctor you, you need have, the doctor. You have to have the doctor. But you can't just also have the high level, like the medical professionals, the intellectuals. You also need to have the people that are like, here's what it's like in life. Let me tell you about this. Andre, obviously, a very skilled storyteller. And Karen's just like, Karen's the type of person I think she just walks into the room and the energy just goes when she walks in. You know what I mean? Uh, we've got Trash Talk coming up in just a moment. Uh, and, and we've got an email here. Mark took the time to to send us an email. He pulled a veteran move on the live chat. He let us know on the live chat. He sent us an email. So we've got it in front of me, but I'm not going to read it for trash talk. As a matter of fact, I want to just read it. I just want to read it normally. Number one, because it's a little bit longer and I don't know if I can sustain. I'm going to blow up my voice on this Friday afternoon and I've, I've got to do some yelling from behind the bench at hockey this weekend, coaching the little guys. What I mean is like I got to do some encouraging is what I mean. There's no yelling in Timbits. They tell me. But first, I want to let you know that the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, you know the deal. You're a real talker. You know the deal. At the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, they've got two cheeseburgers for $5 or the Jespo recommendation, the two double cheeseburgers for 7 bucks. But please do mark your calendars for six days from now. For next Thursday, it's Miracle Treat Day. And that means that these five Dairy Queens are going to take every single cent that they collect on blizzards, not the profits, every cent they collect, and they're going to donate it to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. You really want to make somebody's day. Maybe you've got a staff. Maybe you've got, I don't know. Can you drop off? You probably can't drop off blizzards at a schoolyard. That would probably be a total disaster. Like, I, like I'm, I'm the guy. I'm just learning. Our little guy's in grade. I'm just learning. Like, I'm the parent that would send the kid to school with a peanut butter sandwich and then would, like, they'd have the school on lockdown as everybody, you know, puts on the, like, gas masks because some idiot sent peanut butter to the school. So maybe not, maybe schools is a bad example, but if you can think of a group of folks 
that would really, really have their day made with a blizzard. If you order in advance, they'll deliver for free orders that are big enough. You just got to contact them at their five locations. The ones we mention every time. A big shout out to our friends at Dairy Queen. Hey, Friesen Brothers, there's a big deal going on this Saturday, October 23rd from 4 to 8 p.m. at select locations in Stony Plain, Fort Saskatchewan, Drumheller, Hinton Hill, Peace River, and that beautiful Rabbit Hill store in South Edmonton. Oktoberfest is back. It means you can feast right in store. They've got a special edition Friesen Brothers feast lined up, and that's saying something. Their team of Red Seal chefs are ready to go super excited about this. You can sign up, get more details at Friesen.com. I've been telling you for a while, you got to follow Kubi Energy on Instagram. They've got a great Instagram. Check this out. They just posted this, and I love it. Another solution. Look at this. They say, check out this farm with its new energy generation. Check out. They say, this is so very cool. Check out Kubi Energy, their website, to see how your farm can get more, I don't know, not just off the grid, not just closer to net zero, but there's actually financial incentives for agricultural producers. That's right. You can get money back. I mean, even more reason to go check out kubienergy.ca. Their team of experts can help you maximize availability of funds. I love it when they end right when the music ends. Maximize availability of funds. Who the hell says stuff like that? Nobody talks like that. They can help you get more money in your pocket is what they're going to do at kubienergy.ca. More, more bang for your buck at kubienergy.ca. We should keep a long list of like failed promotional slogans that we'd like to offer up our advertising partners. In this month's edition of Bad Idea Slogans. That would be great. Let's do it. <laughs> Add it to the whiteboard. So the Allen inquiry's out, um, and it's it's uh, $3.5 million, much ado about nothing. Mark Doran's been on the show before. You know Mark. He's a loud advocate. I mean that as a compliment. Uh, when it comes to Alberta's orphan wells, when it comes to corporate responsibility, Mark cares very deeply about the environment and about his province, his home province of Alberta, and he's just sent this into us. He says it's for trash talk, but I just I just want to read it. Uh, Mark says, I was uh, grateful for the opportunity last February to appear on Real Talk uh, with Reagan Boychuk to talk about orphan and inactive wells. And he says, uh, I've listened to Trash Talk every Friday. I love when Jespo reads them out, but nothing said to date on Trash Talk has measured up to the absolute trash spoken by Alberta's energy minister, Sonia Savage, in her press conference yesterday. Sonia says we're entitled to be mad. Mark says, I, I'm an, an administrative law wonk. Uh, Steve Allen, that's an underused word. Uh, people, the policy wonk, wonk. What a good word. He says, Steve Allen was appointed as a commissioner under the Public Inquiries Act to make increase. He had an administrative law mandate to inquire into foreign funded anti-Alberta oil activities. The commissioner was bound by the provisions of Section 13 of the Public Increase Act, which requires that those who are accused of misconduct are entitled to a hearing, to call witnesses, to question their accusers, and the like. I mean, simply put, the commissioner is bound by the rules of natural justice. There were no witnesses in this inquiry. Indeed, no person or group that may have engaged in misconduct was afforded the opportunity to examine witnesses called by any accusers. Uh, Commissioner Allen was crystal clear, says Mark. The reasons that there were no oral hearing are just as clear. There was no misconduct, says Mark. He says, I'm mad. He says, what the hell is the energy minister doing misleading the world yesterday about the results of an inquiry that was that found nothing? He says, now, here's what really makes me mad. What makes me furious, in fact, this inquisition is an obvious attack on the right to free speech that we all possess. 
But Albertans have not widely denounced this unjust and despicable inquisition. This is our provincial government saying, through Sonia Savage, who's a lawyer no less, that those who don't toe the line will be singled out, subjected to an inquisition, subject to attack by their own government. As stated by the minister, this was done to fulfill an election promise, but this was never acceptable for any reason whatsoever. Mark says one can only hope that one or more of the groups that were the subject of this Allenquisition seeks judicial review of the process and the resulting report. Mark says, I'm usually nonpartisan, but Sonia's press conference made me mad. And he says, it strikes me that the minister is way off course. The trash that needs to be taken out this Friday is comprised of the lawless premier of Alberta and his band of lawless ministers. The stench of deep rot coming off this misguided inquisition and this misguided government that ordered it is simply overpowering. That from Mark. Now, he didn't get the trash talk music, but Sam, if you can give me camera four, I'll give him the trash talk treatment and say, Mark, thank you for your email. You can be in touch anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Almost gave you a paper cut on the forehead there, Hoyles. I got one right I don't here. Think, I, don't think I, could, I don't think I could do that again if I tried. It's right for- here. I'm going to, I'm going to, what's the, I'm going to, the HR, I'm I was calling say, HR. I was going to say, uh, it's a good thing we're a, a big real life corporation <laughs> that actually pays for WBC, so now, uh, WCB. So now you can... Uh, <laughs> Now Just making up acronyms you, you, now. You can, you can, you can follow, yeah, we have WBC. It's a little cheaper than WCB. <laughs> and you're not going to like the application process. Very few applications are actually processed in the way that you'd like. But uh, I apologize for that. You better get your face shield ready because Trash Talk's coming. It's a lively one. Sarah Hoyle's about to make her Trash Talk debut. Before we do, I want to remind you that our question of the week is up right now uh, for your participation, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, you go to RyanJesperson.com. You click on question of the week right at the top of the page and there. You'll find it. Alberta's second election two months officially in the rearview mirror. This past Monday, municipal elections took place. Big changes at the top and some of Alberta's largest cities. The stakes were high. And this week, we're asking you to reflect on the outcome of these elections, the surprises and what you think the future holds. This is presented in partnership with our research and strategy partners at Y Station uh, coming up next week on monday most likely uh first of all our patreon supporters will receive the top line report i'm expecting there to be some incredible fill in the blank comments on this one and of course then we'll go through the results and get a sense of where real talkers are at with regards to this election mark talk to us about the trash that needs to be taken out this is just like such a shameless segue but it's just an obvious one the team at local waste for 25 years has been taking out the trash and recycling for corporations i just can't help myself sometimes industrial applications and of course residential ones too no matter the size of the bin you're looking for no matter how long you need it local waste has a solution custom fit to ensure that you feel good about your partnership with them they're big on integrity it's a corporate value it's literally the word framed up on the wall at local waste hq you can give them a call in edmonton at 780-809-5013 or in regina at 306-992-2259 and of course you can find them online at localwaste.ca 
each and every Friday as we wrap up our broadcast week. Hoyles looks like you, you, you look like Evander Holyfield ready to walk out. You look like I need to get you a big robe. You can just roll in kind of shaking your hands ready to throw bombs. Hoyles is going to make her debut in just a second. The team at Local Waste every Friday giving us an opportunity, an excuse, if you will, a platform to blow off some steam. It's a little something we like to call trash talk. This from Dylan, who wonders who the hell puts something gross on the bottom of a garbage bin without bagging it. Do you want a rancid bun with putrid slime, the stench you can smell across the yard? Because this is how you achieve that. Bag that crap before it goes in the bin. A rotten, flaccid pumpkin with no bag on the bottom? Six days away from garbage day? Really? Dylan says, thank you, Ryan, for letting me yell at you so I don't yell at somebody else. That from Dylan. Hoyles, over to you. Picture this. I'm hiking up the Beehive Mountain overlooking Lake Louise, the Larcher Larchin. The air is cool and crisp. The skies are picture perfect blue. Then, a drone. <laughs> what place does that thing have in the wild? Oh, wait. It doesn't have one. We heard, We head to the great outdoors to get away, to disconnect, to put down the smartphone. So leave the drone at home. Your Instagram account will survive without that drone overhead wide shot. Plus that wrecks it for everyone out here. So leave the drone at home or stay home yourself. Hoyles nailing it in her trash talk debut. I love it. The paper throwing everything at a girl. Very well done, my teammate. This one from Robert who says, we've got two young daughters, aged eight and 11. I'm constantly asked, when are you going to try for a boy? I swear if the next person that asks me this is going to see me lose it. Like, why would I do that? They say to keep the name going. He says, I'm not an emperor. I'm not a king. Nobody cares about my last name. How about I raise my daughters to have the courage to choose whatever name they'd like to move forward with? I mean, maybe they'll be blessed to find a partner with an easier to pronounce name that they might like better. It's not like I picked my name anyway. Guess what? It was given to me. He says, you want to talk about gender equality, says Robert. He says, let's start in the womb. My daughters are not worth less than a boy, and a boy is not worth more than a girl. That's absolutely ridiculous. And then Robert, in true Canadian fashion, signs off. Peace and love. Thanks, Robert. How about this one from Scott, who says this Allen inquiry, it's akin to like a hardcore QAnon conspiracy theorist getting money from like a richer hardcore Q conspiracy theorist and then being told to go find the golden goose. That's what this was. It was a wild goose chase. And unfortunately, it's like having the QAnon conspiracy being debunked and then having the originator, like the problem creator unmasked to being a troll from 4chan. And then people still believe the conspiracy. In spite of all the evidence, they'll believe that foreign money is the reason that they're losing their jobs, not the changing landscape of, I don't know, global investment due to climate change. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make that horse accept the fact that Jason Kenny is a grifter. That from Scott, the Patreon boss. boy, Scotty. This one from Greg, who says, this equalization conversation centered around Alberta getting its fair share, which sort of devolves to East provinces buying foreign oil over Canadian. He says, can we set the record straight here? Provinces do not buy oil. 
Greg says foreign oil is bought by corporations who use it in their refineries. The two refineries in Evil, Quebec are owned by Suncor and Valero. He says Valero's head office is in Texas. Suncor's refinery outside Montreal still uses foreign oil and for the most part, pre-2015 was run entirely on foreign oil. Their head office located in Calgary. And then there's Irving Oil's refinery that just received its first barrel from Alberta ever in 2020. Does anybody ever come out and call on the individual companies? No. Well, minus real talk. He says, let me be blunt, Greg says. The enemy is not eastern provinces. It's not Quebec. The anger and frustration should be directed at the corporations. They're doing what they want to maximize profit. Oil and gas corporations fund organizations like Canada Action, who spread disinformation, and they sow western anger toward the eastern provinces. It's a distraction tactic, and it's time the Canadians knew the truth. Greg says if Albertans actually want change, they need to pressure oil and gas corporations for a better deal. That from Greg. And this one comes with a language warning, which is saying something. This one from Isabel, who says every single anti-vaxxer that ran to get the shot as soon as you were personally vaccinated, this one's for you, you full of shit. She says, you didn't care about organ transplants getting canceled. You didn't care about life-changing surgeries being postponed. Uh Uh-uh. It was your bowling league. It was drinks with the crew. It was the hockey season that finally made it worth the risk. She says, the rest of us stayed hunkered down, waiting for you to come to your senses. Away from family, funerals, weddings, grads, holidays, school, work. Our entire lives had to shrink with awful consequences. All of this to say, if you waited until you you got your $100 selfish fucker bonus, or you couldn't get into a restaurant, or you might lose your job like many of you did when you were stomping around harassing healthcare professionals, let's be honest, you were bullshitting us the whole time. You wouldn't have caved unless it was inconvenient. Anyway, says Isabel, thanks for finally finding a reason to get vaxxed, you bunch of selfish, ungrateful, entitled, terrible fucking humans. Between your refusal to be part of the solution and the misinformation you're spreading, the odds are more likely that you personally may have literally caused somebody's death. The fact that you were willing to allow that, even a mere possibility, should have rendered all of your health benefits null. For anybody still refusing the shot, you should be billed for the exorbitant cost of saving your useless ass. Isabel says, by the way, this is not meant in any way to go toward people who are unable to receive or access the vaccine. That's why anybody can. Anybody that can should. Because of these people here, she says, sorry, not sorry. XOXO, Isabel! Trash talk comes from emails sent to us. These are real people, real talkers that take the time to email talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up next week on the show, you may have heard of some of these guests. Ian Hannah-Mansing, Mark Moose, Messier, and Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall. Paul. Have a great weekend, everybody. Tell all your friends about Real Talk, and we'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti. Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, 
Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.